Good evening. I want to begin just by saying thank you for coming. It, it's lovely to have something that, well, at least it resembles a usual part of Christmas. And uh, it's restorative to be singing and hearing sung such lovely carols. And I want to say to the choir behind, thank you. And um, pardon my back. <laughs> and to you guys, pardon my front. <laughs> Let's pray that God would speak to us tonight. Would you join me in praying for a second? Father God, we thank you for Christmas. And we pray, each one of us, that you might open our eyes afresh to see you more clearly. I pray, Lord, that you might take the words I prepared and breathe your life into them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to take a guess and guess that for all of us, this has not been the easiest year by a long chalk. And we need some perking up. We need a bit of Christmas spirit and we need a bit of Christmas joy. And so I've researched a few Christmas jokes just to kick us off in the right direction. What do you get when you cross a Christmas tree and an iPad? Answer, a pineapple. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> How does good King Wenceslas like his pizza? Answer, deep pan, crisp and even. And worst of all, why was the Christmas baby born in a stable? Because there was no Zoom in the inn. That's a COVID special. Isn't that awful? Well, we got them out of the way. I want to talk to us briefly uh, about some good news. It, it's time for some good news. And I'm going to share three pieces of good news that come with Christmas. And they're short points, and I hope that they will rekindle the joy of Christmas. You know, when you prepare a Christmas sermon, you do hit one or two challenges. And one is that the story is so familiar. You know, I, I could try and spring a fast one on you and say, oh, look, it's a baby girl. But you wouldn't buy it. And, and all, all of us, chances are all of us, we've heard this story from our youth up. And the challenge for all of us is, so how do we receive something new and meaningful and connect with the message of Christmas this year? And I'm just going to offer three pointers that could help each one of us. I think the first thing is to take in again the person at the heart of Christmas. The person at the heart of Christmas. And you might say, well, that's a very obvious point. Well, it is in some ways. But actually looking around, many more people take in the date of Christmas than the person behind Christmas. We're told in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, that this baby at the heart of Christmas, they were to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried this. It's a pretty silly thing to try, really. Maybe try it with one of the presents that you get at Christmas. If you get given a book, try reading it from about three quarters way through and see if you can make sense of a book. 
Well, that's a silly thing to do, isn't it? Not many of us would try it, and we probably couldn't make sense of a book. But if we start the Christmas story with Mary and Joseph, that's exactly what we're doing. Because the story begins a long way back, a long way back in time and a long way back in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in fact. There are many, many promises in the Old Testament that one day God would send a savior, a messiah. And there's actually a repeated pattern of behavior running through like a golden thread, Old and New Testament, which I think is particularly helpful for us this year, which is that when God sees people in trouble, he draws close. Let me give you an example. In the book of Exodus, which records the period of time when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, we read in Exodus chapter 3 that the Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. And I'll just read it again so that we, we hone in on what God is up to here. I've seen the misery, I've heard the crying, I am concerned, and I have come down. That's a pattern of behavior that he repeats time and again. As the psalmist will say in his prayers, God is our help and strength, a very present help in trouble. And in fact, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, begins his praise song, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to help his people and redeem them. Now, when you think of the birth of that baby at the very first Christmas, of course, it does raise very legitimate questions. How do you know? How, how do you know that this particular baby is the Son of God, God come in the flesh? It's actually quite difficult to know how you react to any baby, isn't it? Um, when a, a proud parent comes at you and kind of thrusts the baby under your face, and the parent looks overjoyed. And to you, it just looks like, well, I won't tell you what it looks like. But I remember when I had my first child, Liz and I had our first baby, I went around showing everyone a picture of Emily within hours of when she was born. And now most babies, what they look like within hours of when they're born is not very attractive. But everyone obviously felt obliged to say, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I I've actually learned, because they teach you at Vicar School, what to do when someone pushes a baby at you and expects you to say something. Because it's very, very difficult, because you don't actually know from looking often if it's a boy or a girl. This is what you say. My, that really is a baby. <laughs> and that works. But in the Christmas story, you won't find that that's what they did. You know, when, when the shepherds came to the manger, they didn't say, my, that really is a baby. No, they didn't. When the wise people came and they traveled from the east, they didn't say, my, that really is a baby. No, no, they bowed down and they worshiped. Now, how did they know? How did they know what was, there was something special about that baby? Well, I think the clue, the clue isn't particularly what they saw in the stable. Maybe it's what they'd seen in the sky in the scriptures. Because they saw an angelic host. They saw a great crowd of angels. 
and they were terrified. And they heard them, they heard what they said, and they were told, a savior has been born to you. Go and find him, go and find him. And, and this will be a sign for you. And, and to us, this is old hat, we, we expect the ending of that sentence, but I don't believe they did. This will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby in a mess, in a stable. It, it's a shock. Because in a way, it's God come in disguise. But the trailer had been laid over generations. Rather like, again, when you buy a book over the summer, I read a number of uh, compelling thrillers. And when I'd finished the book, there was a chapter to read yet of the next thriller that the author had written in the hope that you'd be captivated by this one chapter of the next book. And in a way, the Old Testament ends like that on a cliffhanger. The book of Malachi ends with a promise, a promise that one day God would send a prophet, a prophet, a kind of Elijah lookalike, who would speak of the coming days of a Messiah. And that's how the Old Testament ends and how the New Testament begins with that theme being taken up and a kind of outpouring of activity by the Holy Spirit with wise men coming from the east, with Mary having an angelic visitation, with Elizabeth, her cousin, likewise. All sorts of activity. And they came to the conclusion, this was, this is God with us, Emmanuel. We really need to look hard, hard again, at the person whose birthday it is we're celebrating. God has come to help his people. A few years ago now, as a family, my wife Liz and my two children and our dog went for a walk in the New Forest. I was working in Salisbury, I was a vicar down there. And uh, <clears throat> it was a December evening, like this kind of evening. And we began our walk quite late on and it was getting darker and darker. And we were enjoying our walk, talking to each other and kind of following the dog. And I failed to really notice where we had gone I could remember the name of where we parked the car, but I, I couldn't for the life of me remember the way back. And evidently, nor could my wife. We had a little family conference. We decided to head for the nearest road, and we made it onto the road. And I asked the family to stay where you are, and I walked over to a garage. And um, I saw a man filling up his car with petrol. And I said to him, can you tell me where such and such car park is? And that's my family over there with our dog, and, and we've, we somehow we just got lost. And the man said, oh dear, well you are in trouble because it's at least, at least an hour's walk and it's dark now. He said, oh look, I'll tell you what, I've got room in my car, just, just get your family and jump in. So very kind of him, we jumped in. And I don't know why, but the, the, the thought crossed my mind, I do hope he doesn't ask me what I do for a living. I, I think I thought that because I think most people think that vicars are idiots. I didn't want to kind of confirm that you know, it was an idiot vicar lost. So anyhow, we got in the car, I'm in the front seat, two children and wife in the back seat, dog in the boot. And the man makes polite conversation. He says, where, where do you live? I said, oh, well, actually, I live in the very center of Salisbury. And he said, oh, really? And, and what do you do for a living? Oh, dear. So I said, well, I'm, I'm a vicar, actually. He said, oh, really? Oh, I know Rupert Charkham very well. What? Well, my children, I am Rupert Chalkham, so it was slightly embarrassing. My children 
just fell about laughing in the back. My wife looked embarrassed and I think the dog wagged its tail and I didn't know what to do. But I thought, I, well, I, I think I came clean. I said, oh, that's good because I am Rupert Charkham and I'm not quite sure how the journey, you know, how the rest of it went. We don't want to make that mistake with this baby. We don't want to pretend we know him when we don't. It doesn't pay to be ignorant about him. Investigate, investigate. Be refreshed by finding out more about the baby in the manger. I would say that if we remove the baby from the manger, then we're left clutching at straws. And Christmas will never refresh us. But if we find out more about who he is, then the whole meaning of this season is transformed. So number one, let's look into and remind ourselves, this is God come in the flesh. God come to help his people. And the second piece of good news is not just the person of Christmas, but the message at the heart of Christmas. And I think it's this. God wants to reconnect with us. He wants to reconnect. We all know this year has taken an odd turn of events. And there's a conversation that I think most of us have had at some point during the year, and we'll probably have it next year, and it's repeated all the time these days. And it goes something like this. You're staring at a screen, other people are staring at you on the other side of a screen, and the conversation goes like this. We can't hear you! And then, insert name, Michael, Jack, Sheila, Liz, or whoever you are. You're muted. Your mic's not working. You need to unmute, etc., etc. Any of you had that conversation or heard it? I'm sure we have. And the story of the scriptures is a bit like that. Sometimes it's God saying it to us. Sometimes it's what we say to God. You're muted. I can't hear you. Speak. And at the heart of the Christmas story is God says, I've come to speak. I've come to speak. I've come to connect. I want to be close to you. For 20 years of my life or so, I don't think I had a clue about this dimension of Christmas at all. Christmas would come, Christmas would go, and I would love it. I mean, what's not to like? Carol singing, great. Presents, great. Turkey, magnificent. I, I would be so disappointed if these things didn't happen. But it was only after a friend who was a Christian actually challenged me and challenged me and said, Rupert, what do you know about Jesus? And what are you going to do about him? That it led to me reading John's Gospel. I, I've got a copy of John's Gospel here. Uh, it, it's really not a very long read. In fact, I've put a number of copies like this by the exit, so that if you want to, you can take one home with you as a present. And as I read John's Gospel through, rather like the two people Sarah and Mark, who we heard from on, on the video, my eyes were opened as I realized God really did want to connect. And actually, for me personally, the place I saw this most clearly wasn't actually in the birth of Jesus. It was in the death of Jesus on the cross. So in a way, I'm going to cheat and skip to his death and talk about it just for a couple of minutes. 
Because what I think I recognize then and still believe now is that God was crying out to connect and saying, I love you this much. I've given my life for you. And I think part of the message today is God says that exactly to you and to me. I love you that much. Do you want God's love in your life? If you come to the cross, you find it. But you find more than that. When you come to the cross, you find that God is saying to you, this is where I forgive you. This is where I forgive you. And I'm sure some of us are scratching our heads thinking, well, do I need that? Do I need God's forgiveness? And as a matter of fact, you do. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a default template in the way we all do life. It just comes naturally. No one has to teach it to you. You just pick it up. And the way we do life, we arrange life around us. We, we are, we become the center of the picture. It, it's just what comes naturally. It's a bit like, you know, you don't, I've never met a parent yet who sat down their child and said, I've got a terribly important lesson for you today. I'm going to teach you how to lie. Well, I, I mean, I could say, put your hand up if you ever sat down and gave your children lessons in that. Of course not. But they seem to catch on. And there's a whole pattern of behavior that come naturally, and one of them is cutting God dead. As I say, it just comes with the territory. You might not do it uh, intentionally. You might, but you might not. But all of us, all of us, have pushed God to the wings of our life. That is just what we do. And that, by definition, is inappropriate if he is indeed God. Because if God is God, and he made us, and he is going to be the one to whom we give account of our lives, and we just ignore him, we just blank him, well, then we need to be forgiven. It's quite difficult to give an example which is equivalent to this, and, and a rather pathetic illustration, the best one I could think of would be, suppose Her Majesty the Queen happened in here this evening, and she just walked in, and we all recognized her. I mean, it wouldn't be appropriate to blank her. I'm not quite sure what would be appropriate, but certainly we would have to acknowledge that our sovereign was with us. When the King of Kings comes into the house, there has to be an appropriate way of behaving, and ignoring him is not that. Letting him have control of our lives, that's much more like it. And one of the things that Jesus coming and dying on the cross is to say to us, I forgive you, I'd like to start again. I like to connect with you. Let's do life together so that you can discover the purpose I have for your life. And according to the scriptures, you won't find life at its best, and nor will I, until we connect with God's purpose in our life. And then I think a couple of other things you can find at the cross too. It's God offering healing. I love the fact that in one of those stories that we heard, Mark's story, he was candid enough to share with us life was not going well, that he was suffering from depression, he was feeling broken. And when he turned to God and just cried out to God for help, that's exactly what God did. And I think maybe familiarity is kind of airbrushed what's sensational about this, but let me remind you, there is God with all this power 
and yet he chooses to reach out and help. We have a saying, don't we? Well, I've often heard it said that hurt people hurt people. Well, when it comes to God, whole people heal people. To get in God's company, to receive that Christmas gift, is to be reminded, as it says of him in Isaiah, a, brood, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not crush. And this is a year, this is a Christmas time when so many people are feeling fragile. I wouldn't say there's any of us that's unimpacted by what's going on. And it's as if we need to be reminded that God reaches out to us and says, ask me for help. It's part of a Christmas story. It's recorded in Luke's gospel. They said of the adult Jesus, God has come to help his people. And if you hear nothing else, hear me saying that, God has come to help his people. Will you let him help you? I'm not sure if this is um, helpful or blasphemous, but I'm going to share it with you. Uh, a picture that I read in the Times of a roadside, road sign of a side of a road in America. I read it this week. It just says, Jesus doesn't have COVID, no need to social distance. And it's true. You can get as close as you like. Which brings me to the last point. is simply this, a challenge at the heart of Christmas, a challenge for us at the heart of Christmas. And it's this. Will you receive him? Will you? We're told in John's Gospel, the world didn't recognize him. That's a recognition challenge. We're told that his own would not receive him. But to all those who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. Do you remember that Sarah, who's told her story uh, in the video, she referred to a verse in scripture about God knocking at the door. And actually, she was quoting from a verse in Revelation chapter 3, which goes like this. God says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I'd love to think that's true for us today. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time that you invite Jesus to be the major part of your life to come and share his life with you as you share your life with him. And walk through the next of a year and forever with him. Wouldn't that be a great thing? And, and I have to be honest with you and say, you know, if you hear God knocking at the door of your heart like that, don't put it off because actually there can come a time when you don't hear him knocking anymore. And it's very easy to go deaf to the sound of God's voice. If ever you hear God speaking into your life, that's the moment to respond. And I pray, and I hope you pray, that you will hear God speaking to you this Christmas, and he will bring the peace and the love and the joy that you yearn to receive. We're going to sing two carols now, and uh, 